Well, hello and welcome back, everyone. It's been a long, long time in coming, but finally we are back with the Didactic Mind podcast, and this is Didactic Mind episode eighty-one. There is no running. A very warm welcome to all of my long-time readers. A very warm welcome to my Podbean subscribers.、Um, I know it's been a while. It's been a really long while, actually. Uh, it's been—I can't even remember how long it's been. It's been at least seven weeks,、uh, maybe longer. And、uh, I wish I could give you a good reason why I've been away for so long, but I really can't.、Um, it's just been extraordinarily busy、uh, for me these last few months, actually. What with various demands on my time. And、uh, it has been hard, really hard, to find time to sit down and record podcasts. I mean, that's been basically impossible.、Uh, it's been really hard to find time to sit down and write longer posts the way I would have liked to. And、uh, you know, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry that I couldn't keep up the kind of the, the regular output that I have. Uh, that I have generally produced. It's it, it's actually it's been a really long time. Damn man! I mean, May twenty third was the last podcast I produced, and now it's July twenty fifth. So eight weeks. It's been eight weeks since I last、uh, set out an episode. But、uh, if you have been waiting all this time, I thank you for your patience. I am deeply grateful to、uh, everybody who.、Um, Listens in and subscribes to what I do and、uh, tunes in every week or did every week when back when this was a regular thing. But I think it's high time that I sit down and talk through some of the things that have been on my mind of late. And、uh, I wanted to talk about this feeling that I'm getting from my interactions with people. My discussions with、uh, various groups, with with various readers, and what I am observing in society around me, and I wanted to talk through some of the things I've been through in the last eight weeks, which are relevant to the kinds of things that we will face, the tests that we will face in the coming days. Before we get to that, make sure. Uh, that you stop by the support the website section of my site,、uh, see what you like there, and、uh, click on any of the links. And, and you know, if you are interested in setting up your、uh, your own site and your own business, let me know because I have resources that can help you.、Uh, of particular note, you will definitely want to check out Surfshark VPN, and the reason you want to do that is because. Censorship on the internet is getting worse and worse by the day, and more importantly, or maybe less importantly, depending on your perspective, the vandalization of our culture is continuing at a rate that we have never seen before. It's getting worse. It's accelerating now.、Uh, many of you may remember, particularly people around my age or older. A line of toys called the Masters of the Universe, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I grew up with this stuff, and it was awesome. I loved watching He-Man and the Masters of the Universe on Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings, whenever it was when when I was growing up. It was so much fun, and I loved that show. I loved the lessons that it taught. I loved the characters. 
I love the toys. I actually had a model of Castle Grayskull as a kid. And I had a model of He-Man and a model of Skeletor and all that. I had all the toys. Uh, I had He-Man, Skeletor, Beast-Man, uh, the Sorceress, Man-at-Arms, Orko, Ram-Man. I'm pretty sure I had Ram-Man. Uh, I don't think I had Stratos. I don't think I had, uh, what's his name? Uh, Balls. I can't remember the, the name of the, the character now. Uh, I, I, was it the fish head guy? Or was it Beastman? No, I think it was Beastman. Uh, I had Trapjaw. I had a bunch of these characters. And yeah, I would play with them and it was great fun. It was tremendous. I had cousins that I would play with who were just as into this stuff as I was. And it was so great. It was so much fun. And the thing is, you can look back at those episodes now. I mean, I could find them, you know, I used to be able to find them on Netherflix back when they still had them available. And they were great. It was like this amazing nostalgia trip back to childhood. And yeah, the animation was dated and the plots were ridiculous and, you know, things were a bit wooden and it looked a bit cheesy and all of that, like all the rest of it. Okay, fine. It was stupid in a lot of ways, but it was an 80s cartoon. And it was a really good 80s cartoon. And you had to wait 40 years almost, you know, to, to this point where we are today for supposedly a sequel to come along. Well, Kevin Smith and the, the, the people at Netherflix did put together a sequel. It's called Masters of the Universe Revelation. And there were rumblings of something going very badly wrong for a long time. I mean, for a year, uh, Clownfish TV looked at it and said, uh, it looks like there are rumors that Tila is going to be some sort of lesbian and she is going to be the focus, the star of the show, and He-Man is barely going to feature in it. And then we saw some of the first screenshots coming out of the show, and it was it was horrible. Tila and all the other female characters looked like they were basically, you know, world's strongest man competitors. They had huge, bulky muscles. They look bigger than I do, and I'm bigger than 99.9% .9 of women out there and about 90% of men. And it was, it was ridiculous. It was just absolutely absurd that they would do this to female characters. One of the appealing things about the old show was that the female characters were well-rounded, feminine, interesting, uh, genuinely charming characters. Even the evil ones, even Evelyn had her own charming attributes and eccentricities. <laughs> Masters of the Universe Revelation dropped on Friday. And despite Kevin Smith's protestations to the contrary, despite all the spin and the propaganda and the bullshit, it is every bit as bad as people think. If you go on Rotten Tomatoes right now, it's sitting at about a 30% approval rating for the audience and a 94% approval rating from the critics. Well, that, that should tell you a lot about how bad it is. So don't buy it. If you want to surf uh, and if you want to download this stuff without paying Hollyweird and Netherflix any money, which I think you should do, because they hate you and you should not pay money to people to support people who hate you, then you need a VPN to do it. You need a VPN to browse a, shall we say, sail the high seas, if you will, uh, anonymously without leaving fingerprints that can be traced back to you personally. So check out Surfshark VPN. It's a great deal for about two bucks forty to well, a bit more than that. Uh, no, it's, it is actually two bucks fifty a month. Still, it's uh, it's about two bucks fifty a month. So basically, for the price of a bad cup of coffee from Starbucks, you can get full anonymous browsing from the best value VPN in the industry. And I can't recommend it strongly enough. It is a great product. I highly recommend 
taking a look. If you haven't gotten a VPN already, make sure you check it out. Uh, links are in the description box on both Podbean and my site. And uh, yeah, make sure you give it a look because not only will you be protecting yourself, you'll also be making a very valuable contribution to supporting my work, which is to get out, get the word out there and give people hope. And honestly, that's what this podcast is all about. It is about giving people hope and energy to get back in the fight. And that is the right term for it. It is the fight, the war. Why do I say this? I was talking to a Christian brother of mine just today, as a matter of fact, uh, living in the States, and he told me that if, if he talks to Christians around him, there is a heaviness, a reluctance, a jadedness, a tiredness, an unwillingness to get into the fight. And I understand exactly where that's coming from. I get it. Look, guys, I understand it. The weight of the world is pushing down on us. And so few of us are willing to stand up. So few of us are willing to fight. We are persecuted and vilified and hated for our faith. And it just seems so much easier to go along with what the world wants us to say and do than it is to stand and fight. And it's, that's always the case, right? That's always been the case throughout history. It is easier to say what is, what sounds good, what feels good, than to speak the truth. Speaking the truth is hard and harsh, and it is difficult, and it is painful. Accepting the truth is even harder. So what you have to understand is that this is nothing new. The heaviness that we're all feeling, the pain and the weariness and the anxiety and the depression that we're all feeling is not new. This is the direct consequence of living in a world built on lies, seeing the lies, trying to warn people about the lies and being ignored. This is what it's like. We Christians are heirs to a great and mighty truth. But we can't speak it for fear of persecution. Well, I got news for you. The church thrives the most when it is under the greatest threat of persecution. And that is exactly what we're seeing right now. The mainline churches are dying out and they should die because they are moving away from the clear and unmistakable imprint of scripture. They are adopting the world and they are loving the world they are not loving jesus christ and the gospel and that is the reason why people like me don't go to church i don't go to church i listen to podcasts and scriptural sermons from people like john MacArthur uh, and dr michael heiser and justin peters and vari borkham uh, people like this whom i for whom i have great respect these are the people that I pay attention to because they speak the truth. They're not easy to listen to. They're not fun to listen to sometimes. They make it very clear that God's disapproval of sin is extraordinary and extraordinarily painful. And that our works are indeed as unclean garments before the Lord. All of our works, all of our Faithful works are as unclean garments. And actually, if you read that passage in Scripture, what you're going to find is this is one of the few places where I think the English Standard Version actually does a disservice to 
the scripture. It's one of the very few times, I will say, the English Standard Version, in its quest for literary fidelity, actually reduces the power and the impact of the scripture. Why do I say that? Because if you look at other translations of this exact same passage, what you will find is that it is the, this, trans, this, this passage is translated as filthy rags. Um, what is the exact passage? Let me go look it up because you know, I'm quoting from memory here. Your works are as filthy rags, uh, and this is our good works are as filthy rags. So where's that? Isaiah 64. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. The English Standard Version has Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 as, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That's all right, but look at the KJV, the King James Version. But we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we, do, we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And you look at the NIV. Uh, normally, I think the NIV is best discarded, because... Uh, uh, the NIV sacrifices literary fidelity for ease of reading, and uh, it, it, it takes a lot of liberties with the original Hebrew and the Greek to make the scriptures easier for people to understand in a modern context. I'm not a big fan of that sort of stuff. Uh, I view the ESV as the best modern translation of the Bible that you can get, although there are those who would say that the NET, New English Translation, is better. And I think there's a lot of merit to that because the NET comes packed with huge amounts of notes. So, you know, I mean, make up your own mind. But the NIV also has it phrased as filthy rags. Why is this important? To understand why our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before the Lord, you have to understand what that means. The phrase filthy rags, as my Christian brother today pointed out to me, does not mean just unclean garments. This is where the power of the scripture, once again, is reduced in the translation. Filthy rags refers to not just clothes, but specifically the rags that women would use to... Uh, how, do, how does one do this delicately? Absorb the blood that they would shed during their periods, their menses. It's gross even to think about, but, you know, it's a natural biological function. Yeah, I get that, but it's still gross. Um, that is the level of uh, putrefaction that all of our righteousness has before the Lord our God. He regards us as fundamentally unclean. We are all of us sinful and sinners. Nothing we do on this earth is good enough for him. That's what it means when it says unclean, ra filthy rags or unclean garments. It literally means that no matter how well we act, no matter how much good we do on this earth, our good deeds are worthless before the Lord. They are so worthless, they might as well be picked up and dumped in the garbage because they are so disgusting and so unclean. That is a very harsh pill to swallow, very bitter. But it is the truth. And 
it is the reason it is one of the reasons why we as Christians feel this heaviness this sinking feeling this this crushing weight another major reason of course is because none of us are willing to stand and fight or very few of us are and this is certainly this certainly has been affecting me over the last few months a few couple of years actually where I look around and I see very, very few righteous Christians willing to stand and say the truth. They are not willing to say homosexuality is sinful. It is a fundamental mortal sin against the Lord. And celebration of homosexuality is celebration of evil. Most people aren't willing to say that because they don't want to appear judgmental. They don't want to appear against the world. They want to win the approval of those around them. And of course, in a lot of countries, saying that is a hate crime. Saying this is a hate crime in many European countries. Well, what happens when people do stand up and say this is the truth? Look at what happened with Viktor Orban, uh, Prime Minister, I think, of Hungary. Uh, he said, basically, we will not allow homosexual propaganda to be taught in schools. That's all he said. He passed a law with the approval, the full approval of Parliament, whom the Polish, uh, the, excuse me, the Hungarian voters had all voted in themselves. So presumably, you know, the Hungarians want this. They approved of it. The Parliament approved of it. The, the Prime Minister signed it into law, which said, you will not teach homosexual propaganda in schools. And the EU went absolutely ballistic. Uh, Mark Rutte, uh, however you pronounce his name, uh, the Prime Minister or whatever of, of the famously queer-loving Netherlands, basically said that if you don't walk back this rule, if you don't repeal it, you may face expulsion from the EU. And that's something that Hungary doesn't actually want. Hungary is a pro-EU country. It gets tremendous benefits from the EU. It actually gets tremendous economic payments from the EU. It is a net um, payee from the coffers of the EU. Britain, Germany, and the Scandi countries are net contributors. Um, the uh, Hungary and, and a number of other countries are net recipients. The EU is basically a giant wealth transfer machine, if you think about it. I mean, that's all it is, essentially. That's all it's ever been. That guy, uh, Mark Rutte, basically said, if you, if you do not do this, there will be severe consequences. And the Prime Minister of Hungary basically told him to stick it. Uh, exactly, uh, he told him exactly where he could stick it. Uh, and I think there was um, one of the, the heads of state, actually, of the EU is openly gay. And uh, he's the one who has the revolving presidency of the European Union right now. And he was like, this is outrageous, you can't possibly do this, etc., etc. Probably in a you know, queer, mincing voice. But... Um, this is the kind of thing that we're up against. I mean, when we say what is true, we get called the worst kinds of names and we lose our jobs and we lose our livelihoods and we lose our means of sustaining our families. We are locked out of polite society forever. We are persecuted. And this is hard. This is genuinely hard to do. Uh, if you look around you at the COVID situation, the Kung flu is, is I mean, it's, it's ridiculous how rampant the fear is and how over the top this nonsense is. COVID is, you know, it is not unmanageable. We have a, 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 a solution for the problem. We have treatment methods. 
we don't need untested, dangerous vaccines. And if you don't believe me about the vaccines, go look at the uh, voluntary, voluntary Adverse Events Reporting System, VAERS, in the U.S. Uh, go look at the U.K. equivalent. In the U.S., the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna together, have already accounted for, in the last six months alone, more deaths and more adverse reactions than all other vaccines of any other kind ever recorded in the last 30 years since the VAERS system went live. That's how bad and how dangerous these things are. 4,300-some deaths for just these two vaccines versus about 4,100, 4,200 deaths, something like that, for all other vaccines of all other kinds over the last 30 years. And that includes the second most dangerous vaccine, which is influenza. The influenza vaccine, the second most dangerous, has nowhere near the level of deaths that COVID mRNA jabs do. Look at the UK equivalent, and you can find the data, but I don't think it's as rich or as detailed as what the US has. And you'll see the same thing. The AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine, which uses a genetically modified chimpanzee adenovirus, is the most dangerous vaccine they've ever had. Now, why are we being forced to inject this shit into ourselves? We're being told constantly that if we don't get the vaccine, we are a danger to everyone around us. The only one of these vaccines that I even remotely trust is the Russian version. It's called Sputnik V, Sputnik Piat, and it, it is essentially a non-genetically modified human adenovirus, which has been significantly weakened, and that will then stimulate the appropriate uh, immune response. The Russians are actually developing and have approved, I believe, a full four anti-COVID vaccines. Uh, Sputnik is merely the one that they market um, out to the rest of the world. If I had to take such a vaccine, I would take the Russian one because I trust what the Russians are doing. But even then, you look around at the world, you look around at the Russians, I mean, even the Russians don't trust the vaccine. They're like, no, we're not taking that crap. The Russians have a very low vaccination rate, and you know, rightly so. I don't think they should be forced to take the vaccine, and they don't want to be forced to do it. Um, if you look in Europe, they really want to push the vaccine. They really want the fear and the paranoia to persist throughout society. In the UK, which is one of the most high, which has one of the highest vaccination rates in the entire world. They had so-called Freedom Day on July 19th. And in the days leading up to Freedom Day, you could see it in the headlines every single day. More and more of the newspapers were printing scare stories about how if you reopen everything, uh, society will collapse, the hospitals will collapse, cases will shoot through the roof, you will have people dying in the streets. And it's a mild exaggeration, but not much of one. Uh, government health officials, government scientists say that we will see a massive spike in COVID cases and we may have to introduce, reintroduce lockdowns in the autumn because of all these COVID cases. Boris Johnson walks back his Big Bang approach to Freedom Day and tries to dampen it down a bit and so on and so forth. Here we are a week later, one week later, that's all it's been, one week, and cases have fallen. They've been falling for four days in a row. Never mind that the PCR tests are absolute bullshit. 
Never mind that the vaccines themselves are largely bullshit and that you can still get sick, quite sick, from having COVID. Never mind that having COVID itself is, generally speaking, not that bad. I probably had it. I probably had this horrible disease. I was laid up sick as a dog for about a week. It was awful. It was horrible. I felt miserable. But I was okay. Because, you know, I'm young. I'm in good health. I take good care of myself. I lost my sense of smell for about 10 days. And then it came back. And I was fine. And I've been fine ever since. I'm feeling great right now. I've fully recovered. I have no long-term side effects. I feel fantastic. My memory and my mind are as sharp as ever. They may be sharper, actually. I don't know. I mean, I certainly, you know, I, I see a world of difference between how I was able to approach my big project that I've been working on for the last few, uh, about six weeks now. My big project before I got sick, and that was around a little after week two that I started, and now I'm in week seven almost. I see a huge difference between my ability to, uh, to work on that project before and after. And it's not because of the sickness, I don't think, but it's just because I was able to take some time to think and understand what I needed to do and reflect on things. And I'm like, okay, now I, now I can get going. So I'm not afraid of this disease and nor should you be. By and large, you shouldn't be afraid. Yes, there is a statistical chance that you will get sick and you will be hospitalized. But here's the thing. If you look out there in the, in the media right now, what are they trying to do? They're trying to scare the shit out of you by telling you that young people are the ones being hospitalized. They're the ones being put on ventilators. They're the ones being intubated. Well, first and foremost, if you're being put on a ventilator, that means you're probably going to die. And we've known this for a year. We've known that ventilators are not an effective way of treating COVID. We know that we have treatments for it. They're just expensive. Well, no, excuse me, they're not. They're inexpensive treatments, which is why Big Pharma doesn't want you to know about them. What is the treatment? It's the Trump cure, basically. The Trump cure plus, plus, plus. It is hydroxychloroquine sulfate plus azithromycin plus zinc and magnesium. That's it. These three things will help save people's lives. And Big Pharma doesn't want you to know about it, which is why they're pushing these stupid vaccines, which are actively incredibly dangerous. They are the most dangerous vaccines we've ever seen. And that's not me saying this. That's the clinical data saying it. So when you look around at people complying blindly like sheep and lining up to take their shots and proudly displaying their vaccinated status cards and saying, why, haven't you, why, why aren't you getting a vaccine? Surely don't you want to do your bit for society? And I'm like, mm, yeah, well, I'm not interested in getting those stupid jabs. I'm not getting them. The people that I know who are up on government tactics and psychological warfare strategies are like, there's no way I'm taking this crap. Medical workers in the front lines are not taking it. They're refusing it. They're quitting their jobs before taking it. Athletes are refusing to take this thing because of the elevated risks. And you should too. You should refuse to take this vaccine because it's dangerous. It's much more dangerous in a lot of ways than the disease itself. COVID itself may cause long-term damage. Yes, absolutely. The FDA has now come out with a warning telling you that uh, the mRNA vaccines have a high probability, relatively speaking, in clinical terms, of causing heart inflammation, which will lead to myocarditis, i.e. heart disease, heart inflammation. 
does anybody understand how dangerous this stuff is? And we don't even know what the long-term side effects are. We don't know what the long-term effects of having this S protein, the spike protein, floating around in your bloodstream, penetrating every organ, are likely to be. We're going to find out two to five years from now, and I suspect the butcher's bill is going to be extremely high. And I pray I'm wrong. I really do. But I have a very, very strong suspicion that we are going to look back on this in a decade's time and look at it as the single greatest crime against humanity ever perpetrated. That's what worries me. Hundreds of millions of people around the world have been injected with a foreign substance which may well damage their lives forever or kill them. And I don't know what to say to that other than to say people like me tried to warn you and you didn't listen. And I don't know what else to tell you. This is what is causing so much depression and angst among people like us, among Christians who believe and want to follow the Word of God, who want to be ruled by the Word of God. And it's tempting, deeply tempting, to say, I just want to run away. I want to get away from all this. I, I want to find someplace else. I want to find a good country where I can live in, in peace and be left alone and just raise my family and not have to worry about all this stuff. A lot of people would look to a place like Russia and say, hey, the government there doesn't look to be too bad. I mean, the president, yeah, he has a lot of power, but actually overall, um, the government there is, it generally leaves you alone, actually. And I mean, I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who's lived in Russia. The government there really isn't that intrusive. It's much vastly less intrusive than anything you find in blue state America or anything you find in the UK. Vastly less intrusive than Australia, which is basically, once again, a convict colony. It has 25 million convicts living in, uh, on, in the shores of Australia, within, within its confines. 25 million convicts. The Brits couldn't have done a better job of turning it into a penal colony, you know, with all of their skill and all of their effort. They couldn't do a better job than the Australians have done for themselves. That is one hell of an achievement. Congratulations, Australia. You are the world's biggest gulag. Well done. All in the name of a disease that has a 99.9% .9 survival rate for most of you. Great work. <laughs> Nicely done. What, then, are we to do? Well... Let me tell you by way of a personal anecdote. I was in the gym um, a few weeks ago, and I was reading all this, you know, it was um, basically around the time that uh, Pommy Bastardland, uh, the United Kingdom, was looking, you know, it was about two weeks away from Freedom Day, maybe you know, it was a bit more, maybe about three, four, three weeks away from Freedom Day. And... Um, I was in the gym working out and I was reading and I was flipping through the Daily Mail on my phone, uh, reading the news. And I saw all of this negativity, all these negative headlines about how COVID is going to skyrocket and people are going to die by the scores and the thousands. And it's going to be a miserable winter and influenza is going to kill everybody. And, you know, all the diseases are going to come back. The NHS is going to collapse. The government needs to step in. People need to roll back their expectations of Freedom Day. Why should we... You know, the young don't want to be free. They want to stay locked up forever. And I was just like, 
oh, I felt this just horrible, deadening depression in my soul. And I was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I just want to run away. I want to find some place. I want to start over again. I want to, I want to get away from this crap. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to deal with this negativity anymore. I just, I, you know, maybe I should just run away. Maybe I should just run away from all this stuff and, and start over again. And it was at that exact moment that a voice sounded in my head and I know it wasn't me because I know the difference between when I'm talking to myself and when somebody else is talking to me, right? It wasn't me that said this. It was just four words. There is no running. That's it. And I stopped dead in my tracks and I just, I was like, where the heck did that come from? I was like, what was that? I, and I, 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 you know, like all the hairs on my body stood on end. I was like, what, what said that to me? It was just four words. There is no running. If you've heard, um, if you're a Kipling fan, and I am, there's a poem called The Explorer. And it's said in the second stanza, till a voice as bad as conscience rang interminable changes on one everlasting whisper day and night repeated, so something hidden, go and find it, go and look behind the ranges, something lost behind the ranges, lost and waiting for you, go. That's the kind of impact that this voice had on me. Just one phrase, four words. And I've never forgotten it since then. There is no running. There is no point in you wishing that you could be somewhere else. There is no use in saying to yourself, I don't want to deal with this. You don't have a choice anymore. You have been called to pick a side in a war, whether you like it or not. So stop whining, stop bitching, stop crying about how unfair life is. Stop complaining about the fact that you are being forced into a corner that you don't want to be in. Stop wasting your time wishing that things could be different. Stop bothering with the nonsense and the lies of this world and get into the fight. That's it. There is nothing else left to say, basically, after that. You don't have the luxury of sitting around and waiting anymore. You don't have the opportunity to sit around and cry about how unfair everything is, about how stupid people are. Stop looking at the world and pointing at it and saying, look at this piece of shit, look at how shitty it is, look at how awful it is, look at how badly it smells. You're not solving anybody's problems. You're not helping anyone. The only way you're going to fix this is by getting involved. And that means, first and foremost, getting involved at a spiritual level. God is calling upon all of us to get into the fight. It's not easy. It means paying a price. This is why Christianity is the hardest of all religions. Every other religion, every single other one, is a religion of works, not of faith. If you look at Hindus, 
I mean, I, I posted up a couple of links, uh, you know, a few weeks back where I pointed out that <laughs> there's some rather overzealous Hindus who are basically drinking cow piss and uh, slathering themselves in cow shit to ward off the effects of COVID. Does it work? Um, no, it doesn't work. But that's what they do. Why? Because, again, it's a religion of works. If you do X, you will get Y. That's literally, you know, that, that's, that's their entire system of uh, reincarnation summed up. If you do this, you will get that. If you do good deeds in this life, you will be reborn in a higher station in the next. It's a religion of works. Buddhism is the same. It is all about enlightenment through works and through, or actually through letting go of things, right? Detachment. But it is fundamentally a religion of works. Islam is all about works. I mean, you know, Muslims believe that there is an angel sitting on one shoulder and a devil sitting on, and well, not exactly a devil, but basically there are two angels sitting on each shoulder and one records all your good deeds and one records all your bad deeds. And Allah doesn't, Allah doesn't know when, you know, when you are born, whether you will end up in heaven or in hell. And when you die, you will cross over a bridge into the heavens, into Jannah. And at any time as you are crossing over that bridge, Allah can throw you off and throw you into the fiery chasm of hell. Any time. Just because he's a capricious God who can make up and change his mind any time he wants. Quite apart from the absurdity of the fact that a supposedly all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful God has no clue whether you're going to end up in heaven or hell. That is the fundamental basis of a religion of works. Christianity is not that. Christianity doesn't say anything like that. Christianity says very clearly, you must believe and you must say with your, believe with your heart and say with your mouth that Christ Jesus came down, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, came down from heaven, took human form, died on the cross, and here's the hardest part, rose again from the dead. Say that, believe it, and you will be saved. Now, there's a bit more to it than that. Yeah, okay, fine. I mean, I'm just dumbing it down, like, to, you know, ground level, basically. But that's the gist of it. And that last statement, and rose again from the dead, is the hardest to accept. It is, what most people don't realize is this is a war cry. This is not a philosophical statement. It is not a suggestion. It is not an assertion. It is not a, an idea. It is a war cry. It is a belief. It is the belief that sets us apart from everyone else. Because it is impossible for a man to rise from the dead. Cannot happen. But with God, all things are possible. If Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith is worthless. How many times did Paul say that in the epistles? If Christ did not rise from the dead, our religion is useless. Our salvation is gone. We are all damned and dead things, and we might as well just give up right now. But Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus did come back to life. Jesus did appear to over 500 people before he ascended. And Jesus will come back and judge us when the time comes. So stop despairing. Stop running. 
Stop avoiding the truth. Stop pretending that you can stay out of this fight. Get in there, get to work, get on your knees and start praying. That's the first and most important of your weapons in this war. Spiritual faith and strength. You need this in order to fight. And you need to fight. Because if you don't, you will be ripe for the enemy to pick you off. He's looking for people who are despairing and out of hope, who want to embrace the world, who want to embrace the, the vagaries and the, the, how do you say, the false premises of the world. He, he wants those people. He wants to find those. And a lot of them are going to be Christians. A lot of them are going to be people who are supposedly baptized and who supposedly believe and who supposedly say with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus rose from the dead. This is where, you know, uh, this is in, in the parable of the, of the, of the sower. This is the seed that fell on, um, difficult ground, if you will, you know, the, the shoots rose up, but uh, uh, an enemy carried them carried them away before they could ripen. And it was the seed that fell on good ground that gave rise to a good harvest. And the reality is that that good harvest is going to be very limited in size. But you need to stop pretending that you can run away. There's no running. There is no running. And that was the single most important message I have received all year. Everything else is all about this. I don't know why I was put here in this place at this time to do whatever it is that I'm doing. I don't, I, I don't have a clue why I was put here. But I'm here for a reason. And I can't help but feel as though that reason will be revealed to me soon. I don't know when, I don't know why, I don't know how, but eventually something is going to come along which says, yeah, that's the reason why I'm here, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. If my example is, or if if my purpose is to serve as nothing more than an example of what not to do, I'm okay with that. And I've said this repeatedly. I'm okay with being the guy that you look at and say, don't do what he did. And I've been very open and very transparent on my site about the kinds of failures that I have endured and the kinds of things that I have done wrong. Because I believe in being honest about the kind of person that I am. It's not a good person. It's not someone to admire. It's not someone to emulate. It's not someone necessary to look up to or to, to accept as a leader, as, as a, as, a teacher, because I'm not a teacher, I'm not a very good one. But if there is one thing that I know, it is this. You don't have the luxury of whining anymore. I didn't that day. I've encountered subsequently some, you know, some setbacks in, uh, in what I've been doing. And I was feeling pretty sorry for myself, uh, Thursday and Friday, and I was like, another dream just shattered, another, kind of uh, wish or hope robbed from me, taken away. 
Um, and I'm really sick and tired of this. I mean, I don't, I, I, I work hard, I try, and I never seem to get anywhere. And another voice sounded in my head, and I'm, I, this time I'm pretty sure it was me. You know, it was, I was walking along, and I was walking along the road, and I just finished feeding the birds nearby. And uh, they're quite greedy little bastards, but uh, you know you feed them by hand, and they're quite cute. Um, but I was walking along, feeling kind of miserable and not in a good mood. And you know, I I, I basically uh, was walking back to my flat, and I I thought to myself, you know what? You need to be grateful for what you've got. Because look at this, you're not where you used to be. You know, nine months ago you were in, you're not happy with where you were. You wanted to leave. You wanted to get out. Well, you got out. You're living on your own again. You're doing something you enjoy again. You're taking part in things which challenge you again. So what are you whining about? You know, you have the chance to go to a gym. You're going to a gym. You're getting strong again. You're getting fit again. You just beat a nasty disease which was probably COVID, and you're feeling strong, you're feeling good, you're feeling ready to fight. So why are you complaining? Quit your bitching, quit your whining, and get to work. And of course, all of a sudden, I felt immensely better. And ever since then, it was just a couple of days ago, that's exactly what I've been focused on. Just no more bitching, no more whining, no more complaining about how horrible everything is, just get on with proposing solutions. So here's how you get away from this negativity, this, this spiral of depression that we find ourselves in as Christians. First and foremost, get on your knees and pray. This is the most important weapon you have. Second, actively reject the lies you've been told. Turn off the media. Turn off the TV. Stop listening to it. Stop absorbing it. Walk away from it for a while. Go for a, go for a run. Well, I mean, I hate running because I'm, I'm a power lifter. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, cardio is, uh, any set over eight reps. That's, that's my idea of cardio. Okay. But go out, go fishing, go hunting, spend time with your kids, spend time with your wife, have sexy fun time with your wife. Lots of it. Um, the more the better. I mean, it's good for you. Okay. I'm just, you know, like, just putting it out there, right? Do what you want. But I'm just, I'm just saying, this is true. Enjoy your time with the people who matter to you and use them as fuel to drive you. Because if you're going to get in this fight, then you're going to need a motivation, a reason to push yourself in that direction. And the people who love you and the people who support you are that fuel. Next, set yourself directly against everything that seeks to undermine the truth. If your workplace requires you to get vaccines, quit. Find another job. Move away. Move to a different state. If your friends require you to say that the election of 2020 was the most transparent ever and that the fake president actually won, walk away from them. They don't know what they're talking about. There's simply no way, mathematically speaking, that man won. The, the, the shambling, frozen-in-time corpse, reanimated corpse, I should say, that is Joe Biden, did not win that election. 
and that's becoming more and more obvious by the day. If people demand your compliance with masks and with, you know, uh, restrictions and such, ignore them until you can't ignore them anymore. I mean, if you have to wear a mask on a flight, well, you know, you don't have a choice. But the moment you don't have to wear a mask anymore, rip it off, throw it away. Because these things are useless. They're, really, they're useless. They're just face diapers. They're, they're designed to make the weak and insecure feel better about themselves. The weak, the cowardly, the beta males, the, actually the gamma males, who now run society, feel better about themselves. That's all it is. What we're seeing right now is a society run by the weak for the weak, by the cowards for the cowards. Don't be one of them. Refuse. I mean, during lockdowns, I would just basically refuse to wear masks anywhere. I was just like, no. It came to a point where I was just like, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I actively made that decision. I took the risk. You are going to have to take risks. And it becomes easier to take those risks, infinitely easier, when you have people supporting you who love you, who believe in your cause. That's your family. That's your friends. Those are your close people who will work with you and support you and care for you when you need it. Most of all, reject their lies. Reject the lies of the world around you and just get to work. Get into fighting spirit. But it starts with the recognition that there is no running. You can't run away from this problem. You can't back out of it. Remember the lesson of the disciples of Jesus. They tried to run away. They fled in all directions when, when, uh, when the Pharisees came to arrest Jesus. Simon Peter, the man that, of whom Jesus said, I, upon this rock I will build my church. Simon Petra, Cephas. What happened to that man? He denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus prophesied, prophesied, whatever the term is, and he tried to walk away from Christ. He tried to renounce his affiliation to him. And when Jesus came back, he was one of the first to say, Lord. That man died hanging upside down on a cross. Do you have any idea how painful that is? He died because he believed that firmly in what he had seen. Thomas the Apostle died pierced through with a spear trying to preach to heathens in India. Paul the Apostle died from beheading in Rome. All of the Apostles died horrible deaths. Every single one, as far as I know, I could be wrong about that, but as far as I know, every single apostle died a terrible, gruesome death or was, you know, exiled basically and, and shut away to avoid their so-called blasphemies from affecting the Roman Empire. Why did they accept this? What happened to change these men from 12 frightened, cowardly, quivering blobs of flesh to lions who went out into the world and changed it forevermore. What happened? What did they see? What did they experience that transformed them so completely in the space of a few days? How could it possibly have happened? 
John chapter 20, verse, uh, I think, 25. John chapter 20. Right? Yeah. John chapter 20, verse 25. And uh, down to verse 28. To me, this is the single most powerful part of the entire gospel. I mean, this is, this is the one I always come back to because it's like, it's, you know, it's a reflection of my own story where I denied Jesus and I denied his divinity and I denied everything about him, including at one point his very existence, actually. <clears throat> and I came to him eventually on my knees, begging for mercy for what was, what I was going through. That is the state to which you might have to be reduced before you'll be allowed to get back up again. And you know why it's happening? It's because God doesn't want conscripts. He doesn't want people who will flee at the very first sign of danger. He wants people who have been beaten down and humiliated and uh, crashed and mauled and spat upon and laughed at by the world to the point where we just don't give a shit anymore. We don't care. We don't care if they call us racist and sexist and homophobic and transphobic and evil and divisive and not inclusive and not diverse enough. We just don't give a shit anymore. I don't. I'm, I'm done caring about what these people think. I just ignore any and all attempts at, you know, making me sit through diversity lectures. I'm just like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm not gonna tolerate it. I'm not gonna mouth these platitudes and these shibboleths anymore. I've had enough. And I don't care what people think of that. That's the state you might have to get to, and it's painful. But it's worth it. I'll leave you with one more thought about what kind of Christian you need to become in order to fight effectively. I was out with a friend uh, several months ago, back when the weather started turning nice again. And it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. And my friend is from uh, Eastern Europe, and my friend is an atheist. And my friend and I were walking along, and uh, my friend asked me, what is your faith? Do you have a faith? And I said, yes, I'm a Christian. And my friend said to me, in my country, we have Christians as well, but I've never believed in that stuff. I used to be a Christian when I was young, and I just walked away from it. I'm an atheist now. I said, okay, well, that's too bad. And uh, I know that the Orthodox Church is very powerful where she's from, of course. I've been around the Orthodox Church. I, I get it. Uh, the Orthodox Church is probably the manliest of all the churches. I mean, it's a church of works, right? There's a big, there's huge problems with the Orthodox Church. But it's a manly, manly church. I mean, dude, any church where a priest gets up, a batushka gets up, and blesses a freaking anti-tank rifle with holy water, and says psalms over it, that is badass. That is awesome. That's what they do in Russia. And I, I, like, I tell people, you know, this is what they do, and they can't believe me. And I show them the picture, and I'm like, holy shit. And just say, look, that's Russia for you, okay? Russia is very, very different. It's a different culture. It's a different country. So my friend asks me, you know, why do you believe what you believe? And I say to my friend, I believe 
what I believe because I believe in the problem of evil, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the only possible solution to that problem. And my friend asked me, you know, well, why do you believe this? Because to me, it seems that Christianity is a very hypocritical religion. All the Christians I've seen seem to be massive hypocrites. And I said to my friend, that's true, but you have to understand that most Christians today aren't good Christians. They're not. By, by the standards of our own book, we're terrible Christians. And I said to my friend, you need to understand that Christianity in its true form is a warrior's faith. It's a fighting religion. It is a faith about fighting against evil. It is not a faith for the weak. It is not a faith for the faint of heart. It is a faith designed to put us in combat against spiritual evil. And I said, I am sick and tired of reading about Christians who are all about being nice. They're all about being nice to people, about being tolerant and accepting and kind. That is not Christianity. That is not who we are. And I am sick to death of hearing this crap. And my friend looked at me. I was like, whoa, you don't talk like any Christian I've ever heard. I said, yeah, that's good. Thank you. That's what you need to do. That's you, what you need to become. That's what you need to start saying to people. Stop pretending that Christianity is a nice, tolerant, accepting religion. We are not commanded to be tolerant. We are commanded to love our enemies. We are not commanded to tolerate those who commit evil. We are commanded to love those who repent of evil and who come back to the fold. And we are commanded to hate those who continue to perform evil. That is our burden. Do not mistake the Christianity of Jesus Christ with the Christianity of the false, the churchianity of the false gospels of the churches. Do not make this mistake. It is wrong. It is foolish. It is stupid. Go back to what the Bible says. Go back to what our Lord said. Start from there and remember, there is no running. So stop trying, stop avoiding your fate, and get to work. Well, having uh, probably just yelled your ears off for the better part of an hour, I think that's uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, it is really good to be back. Uh, it has been a very, very long time. Uh, two months is way too long to be away, and I hope that I will be able to resume making this a regular thing because uh, I love doing this. Um, it's just finding the time that's hard, obviously, because I've got like 20 other things that I should be doing, and I haven't done like most of them. But uh, I think I needed to do this. I'm glad I did. So uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for being a subscriber, a listener, a participant in this great journey that we're all on. And uh, if you found value in what I do, be sure to like comment, share, and subscribe. Uh, if you didn't, well, you know, thanks for listening for this long, I suppose. Um, and be sure to stop by the site support the, uh, to support the, the site itself. And uh, be sure to check out Surfshark, as I said, and all of my other awesome affiliate links. And uh, stay safe in this time of censorship and madness. And remember, you need to get in the fight. It's just that simple. So stop making excuses. This has been Didactic Mind, episode 81. There is no running. And I am Didact, signing off.